Hey, everybody, and welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Today, I have my good friend, the uh, owner uh, slash independent filmmaker of Ravenswood Media, David McGowan, with me. And we wanted to talk about some cla uh, two classic movies, Meet John Doe and Network, and how they correlate to the sensationalized media that we have today. And uh, first off, I want to start out by saying I don't think that the coronavirus story uh, is in its of itself sensationalized is an extremely rare uh, new disease that is uh, taking a massive amount of deaths and it is a horrifying thing. Yet at the same time, I think the media is perhaps capitalizing on everyone's fear uh, by releasing some articles that maybe aren't up to full journalism standards. And these movies are sort of a contemporary lens to not only this particular event, but particular events, but of various news events, the creation of sort of opinion journalism, media, and every, uh, reality TV and things relating to that. So uh, with that said, I was wondering, David, uh, this was the movie you suggested to me, which was a Frank Kappa film, or Capra, <laughs> but uh, Frank Kappa film, called uh oh i'm sorry capricorn frank capra film now i got it uh called meet john doe uh so why why did you uh suggest this movie to me well because it's a really good example of the or early 1930s uh screwball comedy mm -hmm. uh, and and the reason i liked it was because it's so full of such joyful cynicism <laughs> yes. And that was sort of the uh a motif back then that uh everybody assumed everybody was on the on a scam. And the movie in itself uh plays off of that because it's everybody everybody in the in the news department that that the film opens in, they all know that the newspaper business, the news business is primarily a business. It means they're not there for uh, First Amendment rights or, or for a, a free functioning press as, as, uh, as uh, ensconced in our constitution. News is a business and it's about money. And so uh, I found it really interesting that uh, both Meet John Doe and Network begin with people losing their jobs that's what that's what starts both movies um, yeah yeah it's it's interesting because the plot to meet john doe in a nutshell is uh basically they're cleaning house at barbara stanwick's uh news agency uh she plays a character named ann mitchell and uh at this agency when they start firing everyone she's included in it so she has to find a way to basically keep her job so the way she does that is she fabricates a story about a guy who's your average Joe or your average uh, John, whatever you want to call it, but your John Doe, I guess you could say. <laughs> and she fabricates this suicide note from him where he said, I worked for this agency. I lost my job now. I'm struggling to make ends meet like everyone else. So I'm going to jump off the top of a building come Christmas Eve. Um, in order to prove a point that nobody cares about us. And from that, she has to find someone 
who will pretend to be this John Doe because when she tells everybody this is a fake new fake letter, I wrote it. Everybody loves how sensationalized and how dramatic it was. So they needed someone who could be the everyman. So they grabbed Gary Cooper, who plays John Willoughby, to play John Doe. And from there, things get a little complicated. And yes, this is sort of a more likable, cynical movie than something like Network, which is very in-your-face, very crass. Sort of, at the time, it was uh, viewed as completely uh, impossible to happen. And of course, it doesn't seem too far off base. But with uh, Meet John Doe, it really is sort of a commentary on how we try to find people other than ourselves to cling on to in order to give us hope. Um, whether and, and how the news business mm-hmm. uh, capitalizes on that. And that's oh, where the cynicism comes in, you know, because we all think of news as being objective, you know, their journalistic standards, so forth. But both of these movies kind of draw the curtain back on that and say, no, no, that's just a thin veneer. It's really a business and we're in here to make money and any way we can make money is fair. Mm-hmm. And so if Barbara Stanwyck uh, writes a bogus suicide note and then works backwards to find a, uh, a guy to act like he, he wrote it to save the paper, yeah, that's fine. And what what struck me was that once they find out that she's been scamming, all her bosses, everybody at the newspaper buys in on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everybody immediately believes it, which shows just how gullible the press is. No, they, they, I mean they they don't believe in the letter, but they believe they, it was real at first. They, they, until they say she they'll tells go them. along with her yeah. Scam. Yeah. Well, yeah. Same at with, with network. At first, they would. At first, they thought, you know, we don't know who wrote this. You know, this could be some disgruntled employee. Then they find out it was her, and they say, they don't go, "How could you write something like that? It's completely false." They go, "Hey, that's brilliant. I love that right. idea." So right. they construct a narrative off of that. And really, when you watch any, I'm not going to say left or right, but any opinion-based sort of news there there is this absolute skewer towards an outraged opinion whether you're someone on fox news praising trump or you're whether you're someone on msnbc uh you know uh, destroying him or not even trump but it could be anything you have your angle and now we have newscasters who are telling you what to think you know, constructing a, a, a sort of narrative instead of letting you know what to think. And Meet John Doe is more about sort of the paper industry, how sensationalism, fear uh, is something that drives them. And their fear is John Doe is the average guy and he might kill himself. And we don't want him to kill himself. We don't want him to die. What can we do to save him? So Barbara Stanley. It's all a lie. Yeah, and it's all, it's all BS. Barbara Stanwyck sort of finds through her mother a way to inspire hope through him, where he tells the John Doe's in the world to uh, actually go out and, you know, tell people that they do matter and there is a reason to hope for them. 
and that they shouldn't be ignored by the system anymore. But the system sees that happening, mm -hmm. and then uh, that industrialist, I forget his name, uh, yes. sees the John Doe clubs as a way to, for him to get a foothold in American politics. Mm -hmm. And I think he was running for president, maybe. It was and, Edward uh, Arnold's character who basically ran the, the paper there. Yeah, he was yeah. the owner, right, one yeah. of the shareholders. But it was, I love that, um, that montage they do of him looking, watching his motorcycle corps police force doing their maneuvers on their motorcycles. <laughs> like, this is, this is at the time Nazism has just been uh, established in Germany. This is like 1934. What, what year was that? Meet John uh, 1941. Oh it, was, oh, it was 41. Okay. So by this time, the idea of Nazism and that, that sort of fascist uh, Edward Arnold's uh, son and son, or what was his nephew, comes in with those jack boots and the leather jacket. I mean, he looked like something out of fascist Germany. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it really was. It, they, there was a certain intimidation when it came to the organization that ran everything where they kind of had this militaristic stance they had the i remember when they had the john doe rally immediately uh when uh john willoughby starts actually because initially in the film uh to go back a little bit uh gary cooper's character uh john willoughby who pretends to be john doe basically through an audition process he doesn't believe in all this stuff he's saying they're paying him to say a few words and then he's gonna go off on his way on a train uh outside of the united states i believe yeah and and set for life yeah yeah was enough money yeah just go away yeah set for life yeah and what subsequently happens is he becomes so famous he can't go anywhere without people you know, bothering him saying, oh, my God, you're John Doe. And from there, he starts to believe in the Develops narrative. The functions. Yeah. yeah, he believes in this narrative that uh, Stanwick's character uh, weaves for him because it is a solid narrative. It is about caring for the every man because in her position, she did feel like the every man or every woman, I should say. And through that because he believed in it he stood up to the system and then the system says no 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 you're not the every man you're just part of our story yeah and if you break from the script we'll expose you for the liar that you are we'll tell everyone that you were an actor and that this is all fake and because of that we'll destroy everything that you stood for and that really speaks to the politics of today maybe even back then who knows but well, it's it, striking the parallels with network mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's about weaving a story edward uh, edward arnold uh gives um uh willoughby the speech about like hey you're on our payroll mm -hmm. and you're gonna do this thing and then you think about ned Beatty's speech to robert uh not uh, to um peter finch um, essentially saying the same thing. Yes, when um, 
Yeah, when Ned Beatty, who only came in for a day for that role, and he got an Oscar, because Ned Beatty, uh, he plays Arthur Jensen, and he is the man who runs the CCA. And basically what happens is when Howard, uh, when Howard Beale uh, breaks from their traditional message on the show and he says, the CCA is getting money from the Saudis and that's how we get our funding and you call the White House and you tell them to stop getting their money, that's when he crosses the line. Right. And it's the same thing as with Meet John Doe. Immediately when John Doe says, well, this isn't fake and I should talk about fair wages for people and this and that and how we're getting our money, that's when you piss people off is when you go after their wallets. When you go after Fox News' shareholders or, or, or CNNs or whoever, it's like that's when they'll get you fired instantly. They'll destroy you. And it's really about – it's not about who runs the country, who's sitting in the White House that's in control of everything, but really who's paying that person. And it, it, it was a message in Meet John Doe and as a message in this. In network, I mean. <laughs> in network as well, Meet John Doe and in network. Yeah, the other parallel is that they both – begin with a guy losing, people losing jobs. Mm-hmm. Both have suicide right up front. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And the other thing is uh, what role alcohol plays in uh, as a, it's alcohol is always in the background. You know, it's, it's kind of goes with the territory of journalism. Those scenes in network where they're sitting in a tavern, smoking cigarettes, drinking, it's like, man, that's all, that's all disappeared. Well, now it has for now, you know, and uh, I'll certainly, well, and maybe I should just get to this as we're going to it, because the the overarching theme of this movie and everything is sensationalized media. Keep them scared. Weave a story. I just clicked on the Washington Post today, and I usually read them. I like it. I like what they say, but Washington Post, big, bold letters, front page, 100,000 deaths. Yep. You know, there's a big, scary black and white picture of, of the United States here. And there's, there's like these glowing things that look like a virus inside of it. There was another article that said today, even with a vaccine, coronavirus could last forever and our lives will change indefinitely. There was a story on CNN talking about life after the coronavirus and all of it, and it made it look like this, this horrible, you know, George Orwellian 1984-esque, horrifying post-apocalyptic future. And, it, and the reason they do that is because if they say to people, this is a hard time, but we'll get through this, and I think the world will come out to be a better place. Nobody's going to want to read that because they're not scared. They'll say, well, we're okay. So well, to give you a little pushback, though, we got a uh, bumbler in chief that yeah. keeps coming up with false statements, you know, telling people to wash their lungs with Clorox, uh, <laughs> hydro, uh, whatever that chemical is. I think today he was advocating for healthy people to inject themselves with insulin. So um, that was yesterday. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so part of what you're seeing with the sensationalization in the newspapers, the newspapers or the media is trying to say, 
hey, no, this is really serious. <laughs> you know, no matter what yeah. he says, this is really serious. Absolutely. So in, in that sense, I'm kind of glad that they do uh, make a, uh, a big point out of it. Well, I think there's a yin and a yang to everything in life. And I would say that with this president, he has done the most chaotic, horrible thing imaginable, completely ignoring this virus and just letting people die while he goes golfing. This happened back in November and exposing him for all of his hideous features um, is, is something that you have to cover. Yeah. And it's certainly the, the way things are, they're the way they are because he threw out the playbook that the president before him wrote. That was, I believe, 69 pages or so. Uh, he had a global pandemic office that was completely ignored. And I want to emphasize the term global. This affected the world because this $200 million office that Trump got rid of just because it was under Obama's name could have saved not just the United States, but various countries. We were getting prepared for this and we threw it out. So the media exposing that, absolutely. I agree. We should expose that. But when they produce articles saying life will never be the same again, Here's 100,000 deaths. The next wave is coming right away. Be scared. Stay inside your houses. You know, that's where I start to take some issue. Yeah. You know, um, some, some of the issue is uh, Chris Cuomo got the coronavirus disease. And essentially, he didn't seem that bad off. But immediately, they're doing a video from his basement all the time. And he's saying he's not talking to his kids. And he's crawling out of his basement one day and he's saying this is the first time i've seen my wife or anyone yeah and 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 then you find out there's a story where he actually got into a face-to-face -face encounter with someone in a public park because he was walking around and the guy asked him shouldn't you be in quarantine he threatened the guy and he said hey i'm gonna expose you and you know, people are going to remember your name. And he was cussing the guy out and threatening him. Yikes. Yeah. That's where you go, okay, so we could tell Cuomo was maybe weaving a bit of a narrative there. Not Anthony Cuomo, his brother, Chris. Um, and that's where it's like, yeah, they are reporting on real numbers, on real fears, on real facts. But at the same time, you'll get certain anchors who will come on MSNBC. Or, well, them too. But on CNN – or Fox, Fox News, they paint a rosy picture saying everything's going to be fine. They're the extreme opposite. But uh, on M and they praise Trump, but they're even more destructive than the, the, the left networks. But on the left networks, you, you'll get – there was some epidemiologist who was on Anderson Cooper's show who said we're going to have to social distance until 2022. And he basically said, like, we're just going to be stuck inside for, like, two years. And they, they put those scary headlines in big – bold red letters because they know you're going to click on it and right now the media is going hog wild with the fear so there, there's both sides to it the other thing i noticed between network and um meet john doe was that it were they were corporate takeovers mm -hmm. 
I mean, even in the John Doe time in like 1940, they're yeah. emphasizing this sort of nameless, faceless corporation was going to take over this, you know, mom and pop newspaper. Yeah. And same with um, with Network. It was a it was a corporation coming in. Saudis, yeah, CCA. CCA. Yeah. Well, the CCA got the money from the Saudis, and we, as we know, the Saudis do give a lot of money to top political figures. And again, Edward Arnold's character, I, they don't have the name of him on IMDb, and I don't remember it at the top of my head, but he kind of plays, like if you've seen um, It's a Wonderful Life, he's basically Mr. Potter. He has the hat on, the glasses, and he's overweight, and he says, I'll show you, and her, 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 her. you know, he's that kind of character. Yeah, the neat thing about that character, though, that, that they added, and you, if, when you watch the movie a couple of times, you'll notice it. Mm. he's always taking his glasses off and cleaning them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, as he's if he can't them. see, you know? He can't see through his own bullshit. Or it's like right. he's trying to cleanse himself because there's maybe a certain underlying guilt to what he's saying. So you notice you know? that, too? Uh, that, yeah, but I think I might be overanalyzing it. It might not be there. <laughs> no, I think you, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I'm sure Capra put that in that have the character take his glasses off and be cleaning them. And it didn't just happen once. It happens almost every time that guy shows up on screen. Mm, yeah. It's like, okay, I'm going to give my spiel. I'm going to give my bullshit. So I'm going to. Thank God. Barbara Stanwyck is such a babe. Well, yeah, so uh, let's try to avoid that type of language. We're in 2020 now. <laughs> but you can't say baby she, anymore. No. Uh, what, what, she, beautiful? She's beautiful. She's a oh, right, beautiful yeah. woman. Yeah. Um, but, no, she. I mean, back then, that, here's one issue I took with um, Meet John Doe, which was uh, it, it's not really explained why Barbara Stanwyck falls in love with Gary Cooper we get that she actually starts believing in the message of hope and helping the every man because her mother struggled. And she, and you know, back then people kind of lived with their parents cause they were uh, not as, uh, they didn't have as much independence in some certain aspects. I'm guessing, I don't know. Um, but her mother essentially told her, you know, why don't I never hear anything on the news about people inspiring hope and, 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 and telling the every, day man that they matter and to love each other and you should you should put that in your newspaper and then when gary cooper starts believing it she starts believing it and she falls in love with him because well, of that. wait uh, didn't she uh, didn't her mother give her a letter or a speech from her father uh i don't believe so but i could oh no, yeah yeah no that was the turning point uh her barbara stanwick's father evidently was in journalism somehow uh, and wrote a speech and when she read the speech, uh, she was inspired. She, she heard in her father's speech the same things that John Doe was uh, uh, preaching. And uh, that, that's what motivated her. I think that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, essentially, she, I think she wrote one, but it was inspired from what her yeah, that's father it. was saying. Yeah. Oh, his diaries. Yes. Yes. Um, but like again, it, outside of you know, sort of the 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 idea of what they were both saying and starting to believe in, we don't get why they fall in love with each other, other than the fact that at the time they were like two of the most gorgeous people in Hollywood, and they yeah, had to get right. together. You know, they were sort of 
uh, today's version. Barbara, Gary Cooper or Barbara Stanwyck is sort of today's version of Angelia Jolie and Brad Pitt, you know. So that, outside of that kind of like forced love story that we didn't like, it didn't seem like we needed that. It could have been a platonic relationship. Um, it, 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 that, that was the one issue I took with the film. But yeah, it's funny how in 1941 they were uh, really capitalizing on how people were bought out by the media and how the media spins a certain tale and a certain story and a certain emotion and creates certain figures, certain characters out of people in order to really drive through profits. I mean, when you look at any opinion journalist and they're kind of like the John Doe of today, um, and moving on from Meet John Doe, one movie that kind of like is a spiritual successor, the R-rated version of Meet John Doe, is 1976's Network. Um, you know, a classic multi-Oscar winning film um, that, I mean, th this is, at the time when it came out, people thought this movie's too over the top. It's too cynical to become reality. Of course, years later, everything sort of became reality with it i mean it, it, yeah it's like unbelievable it's it's like they they wrote the blueprint for fox news yes yes the uh business model yeah and even fox's television network uh if i if i were if i'm reading an imdb sort of note on here that i noticed and it said uh writer uh peter chayefsky i believe you pronounce it patty huh Paddy, I'm hey. sorry, Paddy, yeah, P-A-D-D-Y, Chayefsky, was eerily uh, prescient in his screenplay in three significant ways. First, the screenplay pertains to the going-on at UBS, the fictional fourth network existing alongside the non-fictional ABC, CBS, and NBC. In 1997, Fox became the real fourth network, second in her speech to her employees about her goals for UBS Diana Christensen, Faye Dunaway's character, don't, I don't, she says, I don't want conventional programming on this program, on, on this network. I want counterculture. I want anti-establishment. The type of programming delivered by Fox with its debut series, Married with Children, and the Tracy Ullman show. Third, Diana Christensen's creation of the show about the, I'm going to really screw up the name of this, the uh, immutable liberation army. The, basically, the, the liberation. Immunical liberation Ecumenical. Army. Ecumenical. Thank you. Uh, the ecumenical liberation army and its criminal activities is prescient of reality TV. And that as a result of the writer's strike of 1998, which lasted 22 weeks, Fox started to run low on new content to replace it the network began to show Cops, which was in 1989, which featured police officers trying to thwart criminal activity, despite very uh, noteworthy predecessors, such as An American Family in 1973, and in 19, 1973 which depicted the experiences of the Loud family and Scared Straight in 1978, which that was a bunch of prisoners who were scaring a bunch of kids as to what will happen to keep screwing up they'll wind up where they are some considered yeah. cops in 89 to be the true uh starter of reality tv 
<laughs> I mean, that, that all kind of happened. And now, subsequently, we have nothing but reality shows. We have our Fox Newses. And we have the, if it bleeds, it leads television. I mean, when they were talking about the Liberation Army, they said they wanted to stage bank robberies. They wanted to stage terrorist activities. And although we don't have something quite of that nature, whenever there's a shooting, the, it is all over the news circuit. I, I liked her comment at one point. She goes, she, she emphasizes, we need to articulate the public's rage. Yes. Yes. And that's where uh, Howard Beale's mental breakdown really came in. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, Howard Beale, who won an Oscar posthumously, uh, Peter Finch won that Oscar posthumously for playing Howard Beale, I should say. Uh, he, he basically said, like, he was sick of bullshit. He ran out of stuff to say. It, it, it began with him threatening to um, uh, take his own life on stage or on the, uh, on the air, which was inspired by uh, a news journalist who uh, came before this film. I believe she was in Ohio. Her name was Christine Chubbuck, and she shot herself on the air. Right. Yeah, and that was sort of the precipice for this film. Um, so essentially, it was a reflection on that, and people thought it was a parody, but Sidney Lamet, the director of the film, had said himself that the movie wasn't a parody, but more or less... It was a reflection on where things were going with the media. Boy, was he right. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's Fox News. Yeah. I, my favorite performance in that movie, though, is Robert Duvall. I thought he was excellent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, his, uh, Hackett. Frank Hackett. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was, he was sort of the tough man who would tell you exactly what to do. And he, and it was always because his ass is on the line because that Beatty's Arthur Jensen was the man who ran this network. He ran the CCA yeah. and you didn't want to cross this guy. And there's a press calling in right now. Sorry. <laughs> um, You're good. So um, the uh, Barbara's um, not Barbara Stanwyck, uh, Faye Dunaway did a great job. I I really like that character. I was kind of disappointed in the ending. I thought it was a little too preachy between her and Bill, William Holden. Um, first of all, it was kind of creepy. I mean, he was way too old for to be with her. You know, it's just like oh yeah yeah. It's like in Vertigo, uh, Jimmy Stewart with Kim Novak. You know, when he puts his arms around her to to give her a kiss. You know. He, his hands look ancient, you know. It's like, oh no, I don't want to see this. Ugh. That's Hollywood defined. Every movie they'd uh, like before today, they'd always have these younger women with these guys who were basically clearly beyond age. their expiration date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, William Holden was basically his character was very fascinating. Uh, he played Max Schumacher, yeah. and uh, basically Holden wanted the integrity of journalism to stay alive and he was arguing that you are turning the news into something perverse and you're just trying to make these stories and nobody's going to want to hear this and he was wrong and they fired him because they didn't like the direction he was going because it was going to lose everybody ratings um and i'm not sure why 
Faye Dunaway stuck with his character when he, he couldn't give her anything in return because the whole point to her character was that she was heartless. Sidney Lumet even told Faye Dunaway that if she tried to give her any sort of empathy uh, during any of the takes in the film, that he would just cut it. Yeah. And she did a great job of just playing this heartless bitch. Uh, she, I mean, oh, I can't use the word babe, but you can, you can use the word bitch. Well, because we're talking about the care, uh, the, the character. Uh, so, uh, in yeah. terms of, hang on, and, and, uh, uh, in no, terms of her no, persona. Sell it to someone else. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough, um, fair enough. Take a look at uh, Barbara Stanwyck's outfits in, um, in Meet John Doe yeah. and compare it to uh, Faye Dunaway's. I think somebody had. I think somebody was looking at me, John Doe, when they were starting to make um, uh, network, because mm. the outfits are sort of similar. Mm. They sort of. I, I guess so. They they showed a lot of leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they that had that funky sort of- stuff. You know, yeah, anyhow, we're, I guess we can't talk. It was about like it. it was like sexy business attire in a way. Oh, no, it wasn't business attire at all. She was she was hot. Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's OK. It's yeah. your generation. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, watching uh, Howard Beale at the end, though, with yeah. his new show, you know, with the big stained glass behind him. The Howard Beale the, show. Yeah. Bum, the, bum, bum. the thing that came to my mind was the Glenn Beck show with those blackboards. Mm. Glenn Beck is like, Howard Beale was his model, I'm sure. He watched Network in the 70s, and that's who he modeled his persona after. And do you remember there was a political show on way back, it was called Crossfire. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, and it featured Yeah, And, and Tucker Carlson. And uh, b- these guys would just would just basically be on a stage while they're screaming at each other. Yeah, and it, and it was just political spectator sports. Well, no, the original Crossfire, if if it was the one with William Buckley from the eighties, yeah, I didn't see that one though. <laughs> that was a good show. Buckley was conservative. He was a goofball. I mean, it was like yeah. he had poor ideas, but he was articulate. He never screamed. He was he had a a rapier wit. Um, and that devolved into, yeah, the, that one show, though, with uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, Peter Bagala, yeah. and then John Stewart. Did you ever see that one? Yeah, that's, uh, I was going to say, he came on that show and pretty much exposed them for hurting the media. But and he really he owned them. saved his venom for Tucker Carlson. He said, he goes to him, he goes, how old are you? And, 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 and Tucker Carlson wouldn't answer. And, and then finally he said, oh, I'm, I'm 32 or something. He goes, yeah. and you still wear a bow tie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he stopped wearing a bow tie after that, I know. That's right. Yeah. It's like uh, that. Oh, that, man. Uh, where is John uh, Stewart now? Um, he, he pops up here and there on Colbert's show and all that. Uh, but, yeah, God, I miss him so much. Like, Trevor Noah does a great job, but. You know, you can't right, replace John Stewart. You just can't. I thought it was cool with um, Duvall's character. They named him Hackett. Yes. Meaning <laughs> hack. Like yeah, you're yes. just a hack yes. uh, 
guy, you know. Hack journalism. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing. They didn't give a shit about facts. What they gave a shit about was weaving a narrative, weaving an emotion. They wanted to tap into the despair of the American public to get people, as the famous quote goes, mad as hell. Um, and that that really riled the public to want to listen to him like he was a preacher. And the, the, the best part about that is, is when they first have their live Howard Beale show, he goes on the stage and he's literally telling his audience to their face, most of you don't read. You right. live your entire lives on And they're cheering television. him. Yeah. He's calling them idiots to their face. Yeah. And they're cheering him on. It's like it's just like what Trump did when he went on stage and he said, I could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and not lose any supporters. Yeah, that's where the two movies di- uh, diverge, is that in Meet John Doe, the public is, is given a lot of credit. Like, yeah. They, they do want to be good, and they do reach out to each other. And when they find out that John Doe was a fraud, at first they're hurt, but then they understand it was a good idea. The public comes out looking good in, in uh, network. No, the public, <laughs> they're as bad as anybody else. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in Meet John Doe, there's a, there's a very essential scene where the big bad CEO – uh, exposes John Doe for the fraud he is on stage because he crosses them. He's about to make a speech. They cut his mic. Everyone turns on him. But yeah. in the end, when he actually that's a great he, scene with him trying to with him trying to talk, trying to explain his way yeah. through a complicated situation. He People gets hit with a tomato. Yeah. They, it's like it's like when someone tries to explain a complicated situation, but people want simple answers. Yeah, and they're and, all yelling at him, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was a good actor. I mean, he's not like a stage actor, but a movie star actor. Yes, Gary he, Cooper. Gary Cooper has that every guy, oh, gee, yeah. persona, despite the fact that he's like six feet tall and gorgeous. You know, like you, you can just buy him. As yeah, a, as yeah a, you'd like to be friends with him. You could yeah. see yourself having a beer with him, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but uh, the the one thing. I, I don't know if this was intentional with me, John Doe, or not, just to bounce back for a moment on that, is people didn't care about John Doe until they found out, oh, maybe he will kill himself. It's sort of a, compl- it's sort of a, a commentary on society. People don't care about you until you're dead, you know, or until yeah. you try to kill yourself. They don't yeah. listen until they don't well, listen. Well, I mean, until- that's the way we are. We always, you know, everybody minds their own business. Yeah. But when somebody's threatening suicide, you got to step up, you know, and that's when people care and, and, yeah. and, and extend yourself. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm down with that. I mean, I, that didn't bother me. I mean, but it did that, a little bit. Cause like they didn't, they didn't care when they thought he was fraud, but he was going to kill well, like, Oh, now he cares. Yeah. And now they care. But you know, that, that's the thing. You have to go the most extreme measure possible for people to really uh, give two hoots about you. He logs uh but yeah it, that was cool that they used that term helot how many people know what a would have known what a helot is i don't I, I'm, I'm i'm assuming you don't know what a helot is if i were to guess it means degenerate you no know, well they were the indigenous people of peloponnesia when the spartans took over the uh the peninsula and so they were a suppressed people and they they tried to resist 
the Spartans, but they were they were like black people in uh, in America, you know, in slavery. Ooh, ooh wow! Historical yeah. context. Yeah, um, but it's funny that the screenwriter would use that term. You know that who <laughs> would know who a helot is? Yeah, <laughs> but it sounded uh, good anyhow. Yeah, I mean, you don't know. I mean, if it's if you watch a lot of movies from that time, I mean, look at A Wonderful Life. That the the one black person in the movie is the maid. You know, <laughs> and that's oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, no, no, that's not true. You know, it's a wonderful life. There's another. Oh, she was the maid. Yeah. But, <laughs> but she did get a speaking part, which was. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Capra was pretty good in that regard. Capra gave. Um, Capra was a little more open to, yeah. uh, to to including black people. He didn't make them, you know, the step and fetch it stereotypes. I yeah, mean, he didn't have a lot of room to give black people roles and so forth. But when they show up in the movie, they're treated with respect, which was not, you know, the thing to do back in the 1930s and 40s. Yeah, they weren't the Jim Crow caricatures. Yeah. And the, uh, um, the other thing about, uh, well, you know, when we talk about helots in uh, Network, hmm. uh the Faye Dunaway character makes a reference to Savonrola. And I, I wonder, like, you would not hear a reference like that today in movies. Mm. I mean, you, I'm assuming you don't know who Savonrola is either, right? No. Yeah, so he was a Renaissance, um, late Renaissance uh, 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 detractor from the Catholic Church that got burned at the stake. And... Uh. Uh, and just important in the history of freedom, and so uh, it was. It's an interesting that they that, well, Patty Chayefsky is a really sharp screenwriter. I mean, uh, yes, he wrote Marty. He's a, a, an excellent. Um, and you know what? That's why I was kind of disappointed with the end of the movie because he yeah. had me all along. Uh, but then that busting. Um, the Faye Dunaway character, William Holden busting her as he's uh, leaving. It just, yeah. I was like, ah, it's kind of, you know, fifties preaching, you know? Yes. It did feel a little like that too. I have to say, I remember I was watching it yesterday and my friend who was watching it with me was essentially saying, boy, could they force that dialogue anymore? You know? <laughs> and I was right. Like, yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah. And it, if you look back at it, you know, in the seventies, even in the late seventies when the or mid seventies when the movie came out, feminism the the idea of feminism hadn't the role of women in society hadn't really uh transformed itself it, by the seventy five we're still stuck in like the nineteen fifties mm -hmm. and so uh I think they when they made the movie in the Faye Dunaway character, they were trying to make her look like she was sad because she was so a successful career woman. You know, a, lot of, a lot of the audience in the 1970s would look at that and think, oh, that poor lady giving up having babies uh, for her career and, and never questioning that a woman could be happy not having babies <laughs> and having a great career. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's sort of like the, uh, the, the plot to Little Woman until it contradicts itself in the end. I don't know little women, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's about a, a woman who doesn't want to be married and 
have kids and all that and wants to be independent and known as being independent on her own. And then she falls in love with a guy anyways in the end. And yeah. Does the whole nine yards. Uh, but the, the interesting thing about Network and Meet John Doe is they're both about two strong female protagonists who are yes. journalists on their own who basically have to work within a man's world but prove that they can be the man and outsmart everyone. Although in the end, the system does kind of defeat them. And that's what happens with – well, does the – I don't know. No, no, the system didn't defeat Barbara Stanwyck. Yeah, she, she did um, win in the she, end. She fell yeah. in love with John Doe. And they went towards his side. They almost do, but they don't in the end. And yeah, also, no, I, I love the Barbara Stanwyck character. I mean, I, I thought that was a really cool role. And it would have been, in some ways, I think audiences, it, when uh, the John Doe movie came out, I think they were treating the Barbara Stanwyck woman more sympathetic than even in the, as a, as a uh, professional woman yeah. than they were treating uh, Faye Dunaway. As yeah. a as a professional woman, yeah, yeah, like there, there there was a respect and a love for that character where uh, absolutely al- almost I don't think there's anyone outside of William Holden's character in Network who's a redeemable kind human being. Everyone's just right. a disgusting piece of shit, and Faye Dunaway is certainly that. And you know what? We haven't mentioned the James Gleason character in. Um... Meet John Doe. Mm, okay. Uh, which one was James Gleason? It is the bald guy. The hard, the hardcore guy that was firing everybody in the beginning. That ah. Stanwyck, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, made yeah. a career out of being that sort of curmudgeon, uh, older guy, you know, that's cynical, doesn't believe in anything. And that's why his little speech while he's drunk with the broken cigarette, uh, resonated with me i i thought that was a really cool scene with him do you know the one i'm talking about yes yes it it was yeah he played connell um and it's what was his character's name connell c-o-n-n-e-l-l yeah and you notice that they're all irish you know yeah i said edward arnold i said edward norton i'm sorry edward arnold's character was db norton db norton Mm -hmm. yeah um and uh, Connell, I didn't even notice that was Connell's character until you brought it up because it, when he was so intoxicated and he was just rambling, I just thought, why is he talking to this random guy in the bar <laughs> when I was watching it yesterday? But now I realize, oh, yeah, that was him. That was James Gleason. And he- James Gleason uh, had a, a, a solid career as a um, character actor in Hollywood, mm-hmm. but he really made his name as a uh, playwright. Mm-hmm. He was a, a pretty well-renowned New York uh, playwright. Yeah, and, and even uh, Network was actually adapted for the play, I believe. Um, oh, it was a play you, first? Uh, no, I think it was a movie first. But, oh, and then it began uh, to play. Yeah. Okay. Uh, recently, I think with Brian Cranston uh, okay, yeah. playing Howard. But, but I'm not saying James Gleason wrote Meet John Doe. He no, did no. not. No, I'm just the, saying that the, that actor, James Gleason, as a sidebar, was a famous playwright. Hmm, yeah, Meet John Doe, uh, if I look on here, uh, was uh, written by Robert Riskin. And, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Uh, I thought it was, I, I, I got it mixed up. I thought maybe Preston Sturgis wrote it, but no, I uh, mm -hmm. risk it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I, uh, Capra used Riskin on a couple movies. Uh, perhaps he did. Um, if I were to pull it up, I don't know. I'm like, I'd be like the Jamie to, uh, uh, Joe Rogan here. Uh, you know what's, what's funny for me though, is that, you know, you pick these two movies to talk about like journalism and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the, the one movie that kind of encapsulates everything that I think you wanted to talk about is His Gal Friday. Hmm, His Gal Friday. Yeah, with Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. <laughs> and it was based on the uh, Ben Heck play. Um, uh, what was it called? I can't remember. Uh, ben Hecht was a, and, and Charles MacArthur were two pretty renowned playwrights in Chicago in the 20s. And they wrote this great play about journalists that, um, that hide a terrorist that's about to be, to be executed. And it is, the cynicism is off the charts. It's a great movie, a great play. They've done movies of it in a couple of different ways, but His Gal Friday is my favorite. Ah, directed by Howard Hawks. Yep. Written by Charles uh, Letterer. Um, well, the screenwriter, yeah. Yeah, and then based it was on based the on the play by uh, Ben Heck and Charles MacArthur. Yeah. Ah, very Charles good. MacArthur came from the family that started the Art Institute. Ah, I see. Yeah. Well, that is certainly one to check out. But uh, what was the name of their play, though, that it was based on? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have it on. It doesn't me. say that. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, but um, besides from that, uh, when we bounce back to network, that the the dialogue in the screenplay is it's very sort of Aaron Sorkin ish. You know, it's very. Uh, it's like everyone's sort of playing ping pong with their. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. Talking fast, bouncing things back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it's basically like a walking thesaurus of yeah. terms that the the average American wouldn't use, and it's very purposefully written like that. It's supposed to sound um overtly articulate in order to highlight specifically with this film how these characters are far more educated than the yeah. Other. Well, I think what they're trying to yeah. emphasize is an elitism. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Is there's elitism to it where they think they're smarter than the average everyday man, and they tell you what to think, what to feel, right. what to watch, when to watch it, and they control the world. And that, I mean, the, the, one of my favorite scenes, actually, is when Howard Beale walks into Dead Betty's office, and Howard Beale is so used to screaming at everyone, telling them what to think, and immediately Ned Betty puts Beale in his place, Right, and he and he starts shouting at the rafters as if he's angered God, and he says, "You don't know the forces for which you have angered." Am I coming through to you, sir? <laughs> no, no. Actually, when he made when he said that line, yeah, he he stopped yelling and he looked at Howard Bean and he goes, "Am I getting through to you?" <laughs> yeah, that was after he did the whole monologue, right. basically. Yeah, it was and cool. And then he continues again. Yeah. He basically said to him, I can shout too. And also, I have all the power. You're just an actor. Right. So shut up 
and play nice. And what does Howard Beale tell him? Okay. No, no. <laughs> he, he says, I saw God. <laughs> yeah, he thought he saw God because there's a scene earlier where he's. And, and Ned Beatty says, Perhaps you have, Mr. Beale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In other words, I am God, you know, <laughs> and I'm telling you this. You know what we've missed is uh, that I'd like to bring up, I make, make it short, but mm -hmm. one of the things that I liked about Network the most was the, the ecumenical uh, liberation army and how at the end they're having a board meeting in their hideout. Yes. <laughs> and, and the communist woman is like screaming at him. He doesn't get this. And, and, the guy, and they're all arguing. The guy takes his gun out and shoots. <laughs> he goes, Give her her, her uh, and he uses some business term, you know. He's like, give them the assets. Yeah. And then they just keep going. They're talking right. business, but they're doing it with loaded guns. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Which is sort of what it's like when you watch the news today. Everybody, everybody, even the communist Angela Davis-like character was in on the tape. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. Uh, the, I mean, this movie, outside of a few parts where, you know, they're talking to the ecumenical liberation army and they use that army to assassinate Howard Beale because his ratings are down. And right. Because he literally went from telling everyone to not give money to the CCA to telling them, well, we've done enough. And, you know, we have to be angry at our government because they can't do anything because uh, Howard Jensen tells Beale or Howard Jensen, I'm sorry, Arthur Jensen tells Beale to – uh, tell them, look, you could shout about democracy and how it's broken because that doesn't affect us. People were getting confused and bored by his mixed messaging, and they were starting to sense his bullshit in a way, and they were starting to get smarter by listening to him. So immediately when they turn on him, they kill him, and he died because of low ratings, um, which I don't think you'd kill anyone over low ratings. Well, no, right. That's why, it yeah. was, that's why people thought it was over the top, yeah. Yeah, that's where it gets over the top, but everything else is spot on. I mean, we, we well, have... I didn't mind that. I didn't mind that part of it. I, well, I, I don't, don't mind either. that was over the top with that. The only thing I minded was the ending with William Holden and Faye Dunaway. That just yeah, the big, the big lofty well. speech. Yeah. Um, one more point was uh gosh darn it, it it's left me um but that's okay uh when that thought gets back to you uh, <laughs> uh, what i really appreciate about this movie is it kind of is a voice of rationalization if you look at the two side by side as to where you should limit your news intake and not take everything so seriously because now as we're in the middle of this horrific pandemic there's so much misinformation that a worse coming from the White House. Yes, coming from the White I House. I mean, that's unheard of. Coming from the White House, coming from journalism, coming from everywhere. Uh, I, I think you're busting journalism. I don't see it. I I see what I'm watching is journalists are trying to deal with an out of control white house which has never ever happened before and they they've got these rules that they oh we're going to be objective and like well 
if we say something bad about Trump, we got to say something bad about Democrats. Well, no, you don't, you know? Well, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. And I agree with you. They're exposing the White House for the absolute flaw that it is. What I, what, what I am concerned about, though, is when they tell people that their lives are never going to be the same again and that things are horrible. No. And yeah, you, yeah, you got yeah, you to make your own judgments on that. Yeah, yeah, that's opinion. Yeah, and that's when the opinion journalism reflects sort of the narrative lead that everyone is weaving where there's good journalism but then there's so much misinformation regarding you know what's our society going to be like how long are we really going to be locked in our houses how susceptible are you really to dying this that and the other that it 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 spirals out of control and it creates complete panic among the masses where you end up hurting a society rather than helping it there's so many people who are struggling with mental illness where if you're reading the news it will cause you to go to an insane asylum just by reading it i mean you think about network howard beale was having a complete emotional breakdown and William Holden was the one guy who would support him, but everybody else was exploiting his breakdown for their own benefit. And here I agree with a lot of what the media is saying. And I don't think that there's fake news other than Fox news specifically, but I think they're taking every worst case scenario, every statistic that usually is what helping it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually either withheld from the public so they don't cause mass panic or is uh, or they're yeah emphasizing it to a degree that's unnecessary where they're exploiting the fears of people and people who are not well are the suicide rates already going up. It's going yeah. to get worse. I think a lot of people might start causing mass murder i mean there's people hoarding toilet paper there's people hoarding i went to try to get disinfecting wipes you know for from my local sam's club and they said well you have to come in at wednesday and thursday in the morning and oh, right. fill out within one hour right. it's like that's the kind of absolute panic everyone's having yeah, it's pretty crazy because if it bleeds it leads or i don't know how to rhyme that to coughs but if it coughs it's I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> here's one other thing I wanted to point out about network is that yeah. they had that omnipotent narrator. And I w- and yeah. I'm not sure why. I wonder if that was added after the movie was made for some reason like they mm-hmm. thought, "Hey, we're going to have to pull this together with some." At first I thought that narrator was William Holden. <laughs> Cuz it sounded kind of like his voice. Yeah. But um but then at the end, you know, it's like, "Well, Where'd that guy come from? You know, why was that narrator there? I'd be curious whether that was something that they did as a fix rather than something that was baked in from the beginning. Like sort of like what they did with uh, uh, Harrison Ford with Blade Runner, where they just shoved in the narration in the end. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think they did it to give it sort of a journalistic sort of point of view. Oh, maybe. Where yeah. it's like you're seeing the story of the fall of journalism and this is how it happened. Yeah. Like that's sort of how I interpreted it. And it didn't feel too forced to me. It could have. It teetered on the line, but it didn't. 
Um, but uh, Mike, I got to get going now. <laughs> well, okay. I'm glad you signed off. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, yes, I, I, I believe I hear his car, his, his car honking outside. Someone's going to take him somewhere. No, uh, so <laughs> to go uh, get some uh, Clorox handy wipes. Yes. Yes. Get a ton of it. Get in a fist fight with someone who's trying to get it. But uh, David, thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking about this. And uh, that was folks, fun, Mike. Yeah. Folks, for your own mental well-being, uh, please limit your news intake because it's, it won't make you feel any better. It'll, it'll, well, no, d- d- just use your critical thinking skills. Yeah. So don't, don't just accept whatever you hear. You know, try to dope it out on your own. Look, listen to other sources. Don't, yeah. don't just uh, go by what Facebook is telling you. Yes. Uh, don't go by a headline in big, bold red letters saying coronavirus is here forever and we're going to live in a dystopian hell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you have to, you have to use your critical mind. And again, journalism isn't fake, but it's sensationalized and it's business. Yeah. It's a business. And in the end it's making money off of this tragedy while also giving you fair journalism about the most incompetent terrifying white house to have ever existed so take that as you will um (laughs) all right thank you uh thank you uh david mcgowan from ravenswoodmedia.com go there if you want to see some movies he's around bats he films them but he doesn't eat bat soup okay all right thanks mike bye-bye okay thank you guys so much i might crawl this is you'll probably agree we will see you next time. And before I sign off, I want to thank Galway Bay for being uh, our location that we film at. And hopefully when we get out of this, we can film there again. Uh, in the meantime, we'll keep doing this from home. And thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.